I'm reading from the um, large print Bible today, so if it doesn't quite correlate with your green one, I apologize. Um, reading from Nehemiah. This is Nehemiah's prayer. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave to your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave to your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your hear, ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success by granting him in favour in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are, are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favour in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah, 
where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take and will, when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite officials heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. This is the word of the Lord. Great, let's pray. Gracious God, we often find ourselves overwhelmed by some of the circumstances, some of the seasons that we find ourselves in. Sometimes they're long seasons, sometimes they're short seasons of, uh, of pain. Father, I pray this morning that we would find fresh strength, fresh hope to the challenges that each one of us face in our lives and for us as a church. And we pray, Holy Spirit, would you fall afresh upon us to grant us the resurrection power that we celebrated last week to live for you in our generation at this time. Amen. A few uh, months ago, as part of praying on uh, a day at 9.15, as I was praying, we were praying around a whole series of things. Actually, one of the things I sense God say is actually we need to spend some time in the book of Nehemiah. We're going to take it quite short. We're only going to take six weeks over it. Uh, so it's going to be quite punchy and it's quite overview. But we're going to do it. And it's, it's a book that's a fabulous book. It's a book that has some amazing passages in it, one of which we just heard uh, read today by Eileen, uh, one of the prayers of Nehemiah that's uh, very famous. And it's particularly loved, although I'm slightly hesitant in saying this, it's particularly loved of uh, a group of Christians who, who love it, who are also involved in business. Nehemiah was a formidable man for many reasons, and we'll look at that a bit more. But for Christians who work in the world, He's actually become someone they look to again and again and again as to, to get inspiration from. 
As you, if you've got the Bible open in front of you, you that would be helpful. We're going to spend a little bit of time looking at some bits. It, for those of you who don't know, it's literally, we find the book of Nehemiah halfway physically through the Old Testament. It's uh, about halfway through. It's the end of the historical books in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is made up of different types of books. But it's the last bit of history before they move on to the poetry and the writings and then the prophets. Nehemiah draws, the book of Nehemiah draws on the memoirs under his name of this person who was a cupbearer to the royal Persian king who turned out to become a Jewish governor too. It describes the third return of the Jews back to Jerusalem after exile. It all takes place, the, the narrative that we heard read, all takes place in the late 5th century B.C., and it takes place during the reign of this king called Artaxerxes, who was a king of Persia at the time. And what it records is the rebuilding and restoration and reform uh, during that time from about 458 BC to 430 BC. For those who don't know anything about the life of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is famous for, for the, his great achievement during his lifetime was the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. If you have time this week, can I encourage you to put half an hour aside and just to read it through, chapter 1 all the way through chapter 13. Probably take about half an hour. Some bits are difficult. There's lots of history. Some bits are really easy to read. Some bits are quite inspiring to read. But actually to take half an hour just to read the book would actually help us uh, also during the time we spend in it over the next few weeks been set up quite well uh, this morning to think what we're thinking about is the challenges that we face. The question for each one of us this morning is not, will I face challenges? Everybody faces challenges. There's not a single person here this morning who hasn't got challenges in their life. The question is, how will I face the challenges in my life? Now, challenges, as we know, come in all different shapes and all different sizes. If you're young parents like Miles and Alex and Karen and, and James, there are certain challenges of living in that season of life, trying to get enough sleep, trying to negotiate children who don't want to sleep or don't want to do quite do what you want to do, changing nappies, constantly being called. It's a season of life where life brings particular types of challenges. Those of us in the middle years who've got children who are a little bit older, we're negotiating all their different interests, their life at school. We're thinking about parents, maybe, who are elderly, and how do we help them as they de deteriorate in health, and how do we do help them during that part of their life, as well as managing our own priorities as well. But also about those, maybe, who are towards the end of life. We're planning for our retirement. We're thinking about health issues that we're consumed with. We seem to be constantly in a long visit to the doctor or different parts of the medical service or the NHS. We lose friends that are very dear to us, we've spent a lifetime with. And we also face lots of other hardships that come with the aging process. In every season of life, there are challenges. And sometimes there are challenges that we possibly see as good challenges, how we keep relationships alive, how we keep family life going well, how we take on new challenges in our work life, our home life, or whatever it is. But there are also challenges that are things about brokenness. It's actually relationships have gone bad. We're in financial mess. 
We've got health issues that really mean that our prognosis really isn't great. To live means to face all those challenges, to face heartache, to face pain, and to face suffering. And some of those seasons will go quickly, and others will be long seasons that we find ourselves in. And how do we face them? Nehemiah recounts a season of this man's life, where storms and challenges he faced hit hard, hit constantly, and they came from all directions. They came one by one, but Nehemiah managed to journey through those challenges to get to the other side. And as a consequence of that, he became stronger, he became closer to God, and he encountered God's faithfulness to a much greater degree. Nehemiah held on to God and allowed God to hold him in each and every detail, the different types of challenges that he faced in that time. But before we start to look in a little bit more detail, I want you to think for a moment, just take a moment to think, and think, how is it that you face challenges in your life? What's your immediate response when something comes your way? Some of us will remember a time, for example, um, when we went to the doctor. We sat in the doctor's surgery. Doctor's giving a review of us. He asked us to sit on the bench or the thing. He asked us to cross our legs. And he gets this little rubber-typed hammer, and he prongs our knee just about there, and our knee shoots out. We don't think about it. We don't think about our response. It just happens. It's a reflexive response to the fact that someone has hit our knee in the right place at the right time that produces a response like it. It's not thought through, it's actually instinctive. We don't plan it, we just respond. Now there are four, many of you will know, there are four classic responses to the challenges that we all face in life. Some people, when they have challenges in life, their natural basically intention is say, this is too much for me, I cannot face it. I'm going to curl up in a little ball and hope that it goes away. A little bit like the hedgehog. Curl up, hope it's not real, hope it goes away, it will pass. Second type of people, often are people who get very angry. They lash out, they think this is unfair, it's unjust, and they go like the people like on a warpath trying to fight against people, against a situation, and it brings out the worst in them as they lash out at others around them. Some bring a cool indifference to the challenges that they face in life. I've seen it all before. It's just a challenge. You protect your heart. You don't need to engage. But you have a cool indifference, like the Stoics, you just sort of sit above it all and say, it will come, it will go. It doesn't touch me. I'll just carry on. And the fourth type of people are the people who thrive on challenges. When you give them a challenge, their face lights up. They think, they think give it to me, let me take this on, bring on the more challenges, we can overcome this, show me the way, and we'll get to the end panel. I'll figure it out. Nehemiah, remember, was a normal human being. Yet when you look at his life, 
and he had a response to his emotions. How did he respond? His reflexive response to the challenges he faced helped him move through his challenges to a better place. And as we spend the next six, six weeks looking at Nehemiah's life or looking at this, this passage in Nehemiah's life, I wonder what, the, what God is saying to us. What is God saying to you this morning about the personal challenges you're facing in your life? And we each have them. But also, what is God saying to us maybe in the groups we're part of in the church? Or what is God saying to us as a church as a whole for the challenges we're facing in our life? I'd like you just to take, uh, before I continue, I'd like you to take a minute to chat to the person near you or chat to the person next to you and talk about, be honest, and talk about one challenge you're facing in your life. Take time, just a minute, find someone to, to share a challenge you're facing in your life and, um, and share with the person near to you. Give us some time later. Okay. Okay, if you'd like to uh, bring, <clears throat> bring your conversation to an end for now, you can always carry on that conversation afterwards at the end of the service. <clears throat> we're going to look at three things uh, this morning. That we, A large sweep from two chapters, but we're going to look at three things that we learn from Nehemiah this morning. Firstly, that um, Nehemiah was honest emotionally with it. Nehemiah was tenacious in facing the challenges that came his way. The challenges that came his way could have crushed him. They could have overwhelmed him. Yet he was refined and strengthened because he relied on God and pressed through. One of the things about being a pastor is that you obviously get the privilege of walking alongside people in all sorts of circumstances in people's lives. You sit here on a Sunday and you actually have no idea, frankly, what's going on in people's life beneath the surface. You have no idea the pressures people are carrying, unless uh, you know people well. 
And a couple of, couple of weeks before Easter, uh, again as part of the week, maybe the week before Easter was we were praying during Holy Week. One of the times as we were praying was that I, I just sensed God also say to me that there are a lot of people who feel overwhelmed at the minute. That their circumstances are literally overwhelming them. So that the life that God has for us, the life God wants for us, the life God is calling us to, that we risk losing a sense of where God is because actually we just feel overwhelmed with the size of the challenges we're facing, the things that are coming against us. And what is it we do with that? How do we deal with that? How do we go about that? How do we move through from that place of recognizing we're overwhelmed and being honest that actually that's where we are? In verse 1, what we find, if you have your Bible in front of you, this dates uh, the time of this, uh, this account to 446 BC. A visit from Nehemiah's brother and his companions asked, prompts Nehemiah to ask, what's the state of Jerusalem? What's the state of the exile of his people, the people who were exiled, the Jews who were exiled? How are they getting on? What's the story? Bear in mind, if you know the geography, um, there's a map somewhere on this is as well, is that Nehemiah is 1,100 miles away in, a, in a, um, a city called Susa. Jerusalem is a long, long way away from where uh, Nehemiah is living. He's inquiring of his brother and his companions, how are they getting on? What's the state? Nehemiah's brother reports, he said, Jerusalem is in ruins, he said. The homeland of his ancestors we see in verse 2, and it grieves him deeply. Nehemiah cares. Nehemiah cares. It grieves him deeply that his people and his city is literally in ruins. Imagining his people to be vulnerable, to be persecuted, to be disgraced means that he, he has no walls to protect it. He couldn't help himself. Nehemiah says in verse 3 and verse 4, Nehemiah wept and mourned. See, the first response when we face all sorts of challenges, for Nehemiah was now pouring of emotion. Jerusalem's dilapidated condition sends him to a four-month period of mourning. He held nothing back. He didn't pretend things were okay. He didn't say, I've got to have a stiff upper lip. He didn't say, I've got to really be strong. He didn't say, everything's going to be fine in the end. He wept and he mourned because he recognized the real state of the situation. He was authentic and he was honest with where he was. Similar, for example, if you're looking and you're worried that that, when Jesus, um, his great friend Lazarus had died, Jesus wept. As we go to the Psalms, they're full of the emotion of a life that's lived in a real world, not in an imaginary world. And we can express those to God and to others. Nehemiah, for those who don't know, he was, as we see later on, was a cupbearer to the king and the royal Persian residence there in Susa. And he, the, his job was to taste all the food of the king and to, to drink it to make sure he was guarded and to also guard the imperial quarters. He did this so the king wouldn't be poisoned, so that he would be safe, and that no one would come and assassinate the monarch at the time. 
Now, to you and I, this may not sound like a great job. This may sound like a bit of a, a terrible job. But it was one of the most highest, the highest and respected jobs in Nehemiah's day. It meant the king trusted Nehemiah with his life. But it's not too difficult for us to imagine to a certain degree, although times are changing with a monarch, there's a way of protocol with a monarch. When you spend time before a king, even though you know the king well, it's not expected to show emotion before a king. It's disrespectful. Kings are not to be troubled by people's problems and people's difficulties. It's not what you do. It's to be emotional in front of a king. It's not the done thing. Nehemiah took a risk in being honest and being transparent before King Artaxerxes. He could have been dismissed. He could have been uh, sent away. Possibly even his life might have been at risk. But as we see at the beginning of, of chapter 2, his honesty and his transparency actually uh, meant that Artaxerxes actually asked him what was wrong. And there's a reason, obviously, <clears throat> that Nehemiah was afraid. We see in verse 2 in chapter uh, two, two, the consequences he might face, as I've said, could have been fatal for him. Instead, in a show of, of honest emotional response to the situation he was facing, the king was, respect, was receptive to Nehemiah and opened the door to him. So firstly, honest with where we are, honest emotionally. Secondly, a passionate prayer. Along with the tears and the emotion, Nehemiah prayed. His reflexive response was prayer. He cried out to God with his passionate, heartfelt cry for him, for his people, and for his city. And we see this pattern in Nehemiah's life again and again. As the challenge comes, Nehemiah goes to prayer. He would pray before the things he then went on to do. Before he did, he prayed. Prayer was his reflexive response. I wonder what would change for us in our own personal lives if that was true of us. How much of our time and effort is spent by the fact that we never truly get to God with our problems. We can spend a lot of time complaining to other people or stewing our own minds with all the things that are wrong. Or we can spend our time being overwhelmed by the confusion and the circumstances. But what if we went to God first and honestly went to God with where we are and talked fully to him about our situation and about our brokenness or about the situation or about the challenges that we're actually facing? Many of us seek counsel of many people, friends, family. And that is a good thing, by the way. Please don't hear me by saying there's something wrong with that. But what about doing that with God? What about actually having a conversation with God about where you truly are? It is great to be silent before God. But actually some of us, I think we need to get busy with God, telling him how we feel, telling him where we are, and using our words, because he wants to hear what we have to say. Nehemiah's prayer is one of the great prayers of the Bible. And one of the things that's always inspired me, even from kind of, in my, I remember reading this, particularly spending some time this in my 20s, is the way that Nehemiah identifies with the people. Nehemiah doesn't say, will you fix his sin out or her sin out 
or that person's problem out, or that situation out. He identifies with his people's needs. He identifies with the struggles of his people. They're his. The brokenness of Israel is his issue, not someone else's problem. He doesn't say they sinned. He said, we have sinned. We have disobeyed. We confess. He takes responsibility not just for himself, but he takes responsibility for both the nation and his country and his people. And this has always inspired me about this prayer. But notice, um, if you just have it in front of you, just a few things I'll just quickly point out. Notice what Nehemiah understands about God, who he is and how he can approach him. Notice his belief in God's greatness and his majesty. Notice his trust in God's promises and his faithfulness. Notice God, his persistence day and night. Notice Nehemiah's humility his confession and his obedience. And notice Nehemiah was unflinching in asking God what he wanted. He didn't hold back. As we pray for our nation, as we pray for our city, as we pray for our parish, as we pray for our families and our lives, it's easy to stand back from a situation, Lord, would you just sort them out? Would you sort our parish out? Would you sort the city out? Rather than admit that we are part of the same problem. Rather than identify with our city, with our parish, and say, Lord, would you come? Would you change us? Would you transform us? And pray with a passion before that. Then thirdly, uh, one of the great things about Nehemiah's life, he then, from spending a lot of time in prayer, he then moved uh, to do some planning. He's one of the great seniors, one of the great strategic planners in, uh, in life, in, in the Bible. And he got planning. In fact, he made a whole series of plans for himself, the king, and his people. Nehemiah's heart was broken over the city. He was ashamed of its condition for the people and of the city itself. And he wasn't going to sit idly by and do nothing. So he moved into action. He's seen as one of the master strategists, and we see it again and again. And the, the structure of chapter 2 is shown above, and um, I haven't got time to go into too much detail this morning. But he, the way he worked with the king, the way he approached the king, was no haphazard project. Nehemiah thought things through. Nehemiah, Artaxerxes notices Nehemiah's unusual mournful appearance, and it gives permission to Nehemiah's plans. He led, Lemar lays out the details of the project, timetable, materials, even documents for a safe passage to Jerusalem. He didn't miss a thing. And bear in mind that Artaxerxes agrees with Nehemiah that he can have um, the timber from the royal uh, forest and an escort, a military escort, for the whole 1,100-mile journey from Susa to Jerusalem. Once in Jerusalem... Nehemiah thinks, well, I need to look myself. He actually takes time to inspect the walls at night. What's the state of it? How bad is it? Are the reports that I've heard, are they real? Are they the, the real case? So he can make a personal assessment for himself. Not until he sees the extent of the damage for himself does he then begin to see how to communicate that with the rest of his, the Jewish inhabitants. 
Nehemiah then goes on to provide uh, the authority to the governors of the province to pursue his mission to rebuild the walls. He ruffles feathers at the same time, and there's a number of them, but Samalat particularly represents someone who is not impressed with this. He presents a proposal, he presents the facts of the situation, and for the community as a whole. Told them about God, what he'd done for them, and he invited them to get involved with the challenge. And this, the, the, the people's support of Nehemiah emboldens Nehemiah to continue on what he's being called to do to continue to press forward. He's alert, he's thinking clearly, he has a clear plan of action, and he goes about it with systematic hard work. Nehemiah shows us how to do it. So three things from the, these first couple of chapters. One is, let's be honest with the challenges we're facing and connect with how we genuinely are doing, we genuinely are doing and feeling. Secondly, would we turn to prayer to God? And spend some time with God, laying our hearts out to God with all that's on our hearts, including the things that aren't great. And thirdly, we need to turn to action. Nehemiah provided a comprehensive, integrative approach to the challenges he's facing. He's honest, he's prayerful, and he gets to action. So this morning, what about us? How are we doing How are we doing with the challenges in our own life or maybe some of the things in our own church life too? How are you going about? How connected are you to the challenges you're facing? I'm just going to take a few minutes and what you'll find is in in front of, we're going to take a few minutes just to to take some personal time of reflection at the beginning is you'll find in the front of you on on the um, seat holder thing um, a piece of paper a piece of card, and it's two sides to it. One of which is I'm going to invite you to do two things. One of which is to actually write a prayer. To actually take some time to write a prayer that's an honest, passionate prayer of where you are this morning. About your situation, your challenges, your circumstances. And rather than just do it in your head, I'd actually like you to think about putting that on paper and writing it down. Uh, And after you've done that, you've got time, um, maybe then in that prayer, think about, Lord, are there two or three things that I could do this week with the challenges I'm facing? What is it you're calling me to do this week in my own life? There's a few things uh, I'll also put up about where we are as a church with some of the challenges we're facing. If you're struggling to connect with where you are personally, you find that too difficult a task, then why not think a little bit about church? Uh, There are some pens if you haven't got one. Stephen's got a few pens to put your hand up if you need a pen. But we're going to take three or four minutes um, just to be quiet and to use this time as a response to Nehemiah's life.
let's um, bring bring that to a close for a minute in a minute and would you like to stand we're going to respond uh, by singing uh, together let me just pray uh, first Heavenly Father, we recognize that nothing is hidden from you this morning. But the challenges each one of us may face, whatever they are, relational, financial, practical, work issues, you know, whatever, however skilled we are, however gifted we are, however able we are, however much experience we have, we recognize that we need your help this morning. In some of these areas, we need you to come afresh. And in this post-Easter season, where we celebrate your death through your death and your res- resurrection, your ultimate victory for us. So we take our personal challenges afresh to the cross of Jesus, the cross that is empty. We take the challenges of some of our groups and the some of the things we're involved with in this church to the cross of Jesus. We take the challenges of people we love in this church and also beyond that are consuming us and we take them to the cross of Jesus afresh. And for us as a church, for the challenges we face in this generation, we want your name known, not just for ourselves, for those we love, those we live with, but we want it for, for all. And we take those hopes, those dreams, to the foot of your cross and we put them in the risen Jesus. Would you fall afresh on us? Would you inspire us? Would you enable us to walk? Would we walk with you through the challenges that you've placed in front of us? Would we not be consumed with fear and anxiety? Would you deliver us from evil? And would you strengthen us as we sing with praise who you are and all you've done for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. What a beautiful name it is.